listening to the sermon podcast from House for All Sinners and Saints. We are an Evangelical Lutheran Church in America congregation in Denver, Colorado, and you can find out more about us at www.houseforall.org. In this space, know that our triune God is among us, granting peace, love, and mercy. Amen. So sometimes my brain works in funny, funny ways. I don't know if, if any of you have ever sort of had like random thoughts come into your mind and, and then you've sat down to sort of try and figure out like how you got there, how you arrived at some uh, random place. This week, the random place I arrived at was um, Boy George. Um, <laughs> Lord have mercy. Um, so here's how I think it went. Uh, I started the week, you know, sort of reading this text again, coming back to it, uh, uh, trying to, to um, hear what God was saying and speaking this week. And so I think the, the arrival at Boy George went something like this. Samaritan woman at a well. The idea of hiding in plain sight. Who hides in plain sight? Well, chameleons do. Karma, karma, chameleon, Boy George. If you think about it, and I did, um, the chameleon is, is a very interesting creature. And I never knew until this week, because I then had to go geek out and kind of try and figure this whole thing out, how chameleons could change their color. So here's your mini science lesson for the week. The chameleon has like these several cell layers beneath transparent skin. And, and in these layers... Uh, are some cells that contain pigments and others that just reflect light off to create new colors. And so um, by virtue of a variety of environmental factors and all sorts of things going on, the, the chameleon's cells reflect or absorb different uh, streams of light, and so they're able to change their colors and hence blend in and to hide into plain sight. If we think about it for a second, um, we might understand that we, while not being able to change the color of our skin to blend in, have the ability to do this in lots of other ways. We, too, have the ability to, to hide in plain sight. How many of us have spent time, energy, and emotions trying to pass or trying to avoid those who would make us feel lesser because of our sexuality or our mental health or our concern for others or whatever it might be. How many of us have changed our schedules like the woman in the gospel reading today or the patterns of our life to simply avoid being made to feel as though we are not loved? I have. Growing up, I was always a little bit different and, um, in, I, even in the midst of a community where I kind of looked like everybody else, while, while I fit in sort of on the outside, um, I struggled. I struggled with being just a little bit different. If you've never been to Granby, Colorado, up in the mountains, um, let me tell you, it's not the most diverse place on the earth. Most everyone there is white. Most folks there have some pretty standard biases and prejudices against uh, minorities and LGBT people. It was kind of easy growing up in this environment to hide among the crowd of racists and homophobes and those who would lift themselves up by making others feel like crap. It was easy for me to mock, harass, and abuse others 
while I should have been standing up for those who were the outcasts. It was easy to be spineless and weak to protect myself from joining the ranks of the uncool. But something about that ate away at me. It made me sad. It made me depressed. This and some other realizations about how I had honestly hurt people to protect my own self made me doubt myself. It made me doubt my purpose. It really made me wonder why I even needed to be around. And so it is that Jesus meets one of these exact people that I was always too weak to stand up for. He encounters an unnamed woman at the well outside of town. And for all sorts of reasons, this meeting was taboo. Samaritans and Jews didn't associate with one another, and men certainly didn't talk to women in this sort of setting. This woman's got a reputation, apparently, and the timing is a bit odd. Instead of coming to collect water when the other women would have, this Samaritan woman is there at noon, in the heat of the day, when no one else would be around. Unlike Nicodemus, who we heard about last week, who was a member of the privileged elite and probably more like me growing up, she doesn't hide under the darkness in the cloak of night to speak with Jesus. Instead, she's hiding in the bright light of the noonday sun in an apparent attempt to avoid those who would judge, ridicule, and otherwise belittle her. The conversation that happens between Jesus and this woman is fascinating. It's filled with theological depth and it hints of what is to come. It has debate, questions, discoveries, and some more of that Jesus brand. See the heavenly and the earthly kind of stuff. You see, that living water that Jesus was talking about isn't just some euphemism for the soul-quenching, new life-giving offer to follow him. It was actually a real-life description of water that didn't stand still, like, say, in a lake or a pond. Living water was water that flowed in a stream or a river and was cleaner and more suitable to drink. So it's little wonder that the woman in this conversation is both perplexed about where this living water might be coming from and desirous of it. Wouldn't you be if you had to go haul a jug of water every day from a well and carry it back to your house to cook and drink? But that's not exactly the offer that Jesus is making. It's actually the offer that is accepted and starts to happen without this woman's realization. And here's how that takes place, I think. I'm not so sure that Jesus' oratorical skill is what makes a convert of this woman. I don't even think it's the theological depth to which he answers her questions about worship. Nor is it that Jesus tells her who he is. What causes the life-giving stuff of Jesus to, to bush, bubble up and gush from inside of her and what emboldens her to go running into the town where she's judged and an outcast to tell others about it is the fact that she is perhaps for the first time actually seen by another human being. And maybe just maybe this is the root desire of each of us to be seen in the full light of day, all our faults, all our shortcomings, all our sins, and to be loved despite it all. We seek this out in our deepest relationships with friends and lovers and spouses. 
To be known fully and still loved is a yearning that many of us feel, but maybe are never able to name. It doesn't mean that we're perfect, by no means. If you asked Laura over there what I could work on in our relationship, it'd be a pretty long list. But she still loves me, I think. I'm a little bit easier to please, and while I love her deeply, the only thing I so much wish is that she'd shut the kitchen cabinets and drawers once in a while. See, Jesus knows all the bad stuff that this woman carries around. He knows about all the husbands and everything else she has done. Her words, not mine. She sees Jesus, she's, Jesus sees past all that crap and acknowledges her humanity and invites her in to take part in this kingdom life that's at hand. Living water bubbles up inside of this woman despite her doubts. Living water bubbles up inside her despite her outcast status. Living water bubbles up because she realizes that God loves her and there isn't a damn thing that she or anyone else can do about it. Living water bubbles up and offers her a new start. A new start based on the promise of grace, even if it's couched in somewhat fuzzy terms at first. Paul gets at the heart of this a little bit quicker, and he's more direct about this promise and about the fact that God loves us, that God has forgiven us, we have peace with God, and we have an eternal home with God. For him, hope isn't some sentimental feeling. It isn't the power of positive thinking, nor is it that thing with feathers that perches in the soul. Hope is trusting in the promise that God, who sees us completely, has already reconciled us to himself, whether or not we feel it. This is the kind of hope that doesn't disappoint. Paul's message is that right now, in this present moment, we are forgiven and that we have that peace because as we heard last week, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn it, but in order that the world might be saved through him. For Paul, he tells us that we've already been reconciled. That's, that is made right with God through Jesus Christ. God's love has already been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. It's all taken place already. And the good news is there isn't a thing we can do about it. Paul's message to the church in Rome is the same that Jesus gives to that woman at the well. God knows you. God loves you. Now deal with it. So for us listening all these centuries later, both to Paul and to Jesus, the challenge isn't whether or not we can be good enough to experience the living water Jesus offers us. The challenge is realizing that we have been seen in our fullest and believe in the depths of our hearts that we are still loved. And so all these questions come to mind. Have you lied, cheated, or stolen? Well, God loves you. Now deal with it. Have you hurt others to protect yourself? God loves you. Now deal with it. Have you, like uh, Fred Phelps, who passed away this week, have you picketed hundreds of funerals of good people? God loves you. And deal with it. Have you taken another life? God loves you. Deal with it. Have you suffered from or are currently in the midst of addiction? God loves you. Now deal with it. Has the church... Your family, your friends told you that you aren't worthy of God's love. Well, God does love you. Now deal with it. It's not that God doesn't want us to be better people. Surely God does. 
Instead, realizing, in realizing that despite our own screw-ups, God does love us, we are given both the permission and the strength to love ourselves and to trust in the promise of God. Where we go from there is up to us. Do we continue to hide in the shadows or even in the light of the noonday sun? Or do we come out from our hiding places, owning our pasts and leaning into different futures? A friend this week said this, and I'll leave you with this question. We all know how to live the guilty life well. But can we live the forgiven, loved, and blessed life of a child of God? Amen. You have been listening to the House for All Sinners and Saints podcast. Feel free to join us at our Sunday Eucharist worship service at 4 or 6. Yes, that's in the evening. Our 4 o'clock service includes a children's liturgy. We worship at the St. Thomas Episcopal Church in the Park Hill neighborhood of Denver. You can find out more about House for All Sinners and Saints at houseforall.org. And just like our friends at Public Radio, there is a place to donate to help keep the lights on and this podcast coming your way. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.